Welcome to A Well-Cared-For Human, the podcast that tries to convince you that you are 100% normal and an even better-than-okay example of the human species, despite the fact that sometimes we feel like the craziest, most incapable, or worthless creatures on the face of this planet. I'm Corey, an author, a creative, and the host of the show. Whatever you're bringing to the table today, I hope this episode proves to be a dose of inspiration for you on your quest to become a well-cared-for human. You can find the episode show notes, your free wellness blueprint, and more at awellcaredforhuman.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Hello, humans. It's your host, Corey, and today we're going to talk about self-compassion, finally. I know that many of you have asked me for this episode or you've asked me what self-compassion is because I've mentioned it in many other episodes, probably every other episode for the whole 80 that we've done so far for this series. And the reason why I have not yet dedicated an entire episode to self-compassion was twofold. There was two reasons. The first was self-compassion is a core component of having a loving connection with yourself. And so for that reason, because this entire podcast is about loving yourself and taking good care of yourself, I'm essentially touching on self-compassion all the time. And so it was hard to think about how I was going to isolate that idea and then also to break it down into a 20-minute episode. So I kept glossing over this idea of self-compassion until I could think of a more solidified way to share the subject with you to give you a more concrete example of what I mean when I talk about self-compassion. But now that time has finally come, (laughs) and we're going to jump right into it since, again, I try to keep these episodes at 20 minutes or less. First, let me give you the textbook ideas around self-compassion, and then I'll get more personal and talk more about how self-compassion fits into my life how it connects to the four pillars of wellness that we've talked about so far, and then also how you can start practicing self-compassion for yourself, because that's probably the most important of all the things I could say about self-compassion, which is how are you going to do it for you? Self-compassion refers to the practice of treating yourself with kindness, with understanding, and with acceptance, particularly when we are facing our personal failings or we're dealing with challenging situations. It involves being very mindful of our struggles, of our suffering, and responding to that with warmth and care rather than being really hard on ourselves. It's much more like how you would talk to a friend or treat a friend or someone that you really love when they're going through something rather than how we talk to ourselves, which is usually a lot more critical, a lot more harsh. Generally, self-compassion consists of three main components. At least this is how it's described by a researcher of self-compassion, Kristen Neff. And she says that it's composed of self-kindness, which is being gentle and understanding with yourself rather than being really self-critical of yourself and of what you do, particularly when you are faced with something, how you react to something, or your perceived shortcoming. So for example, if something happens and you react badly instead of being like, oh God, why was I so stupid? Why did I do that? That's being really hard on yourself in a situation rather than accepting, it's like, well, I panicked and that's what I did. (laughs) Instead of kind of being more understanding and loving and accepting of who you are. And then also personal shortcomings if you're really struggling to overcome something. Let's say, for example, when I was dealing with my eating disorder, I was really self-critical about my inability to break the habit right away, breaking the binging and purging habit instantly. I was really hard on myself. I was like, I must be the stupidest, weakest person in the world because I can't stop myself from doing this. 
But that's not true. That's just my overly critical, harsh view of myself. Another aspect or component of self-compassion is common humanity. So that is recognizing that suffering, that being personally flawed, that these are part of the human experience. It's a shared experience. There's no one out there who's got it all figured out, who's getting everything they want all the time. No challenges, no roadblocks. They're just living their best lives (laughs) without any kind of setbacks or obstacles. That person doesn't exist. We often fabricate them on social media or in other ways, but they do not exist. Suffering and struggling with personal human flaws, that is part of the experience. And understanding that everyone makes mistakes, that we're all imperfect like that, that we all experience difficulty like that, that is also part of self-compassion. So accepting your imperfections definitely is a key component of self-compassion. And the third component of self-compassion is mindfulness. So being very aware of painful thoughts that you have or emotions that you have. And I mean that in a balanced awareness way, not in a suffering, obsessive, overly focused on the negative kind of way. It's more of a acceptance of the full-bodied nature of your human experience. Don't over-identify with terrible things that happen to you. Don't fall into victim mode necessarily. Just being aware that these things have happened and also acknowledging and accepting your feelings about the things that have happened without suppressing or exaggerating them because that's two different polarities there. So for example, mindfulness would sit right in the middle. I guess we could imagine a seesaw, you know, the seesaws that were on playgrounds when we were kids and one person sat on one side and one person sat on the other side. And if they were about equal in size and weight, the seesaw would be perfectly balanced. And so in the middle of that seesaw is mindfulness, which is awareness, which is perfect balance in this situation. And then on one side, it would be suppression, which is where you're completely detached and unaware of your feelings, your emotions, your views of the things that have happened to you. And on the other side would be exaggerating like, oh my God, that was the worst thing ever. And I'm the worst person. And just basically an overblown analysis or view of the things that have happened. So suppression is complete denial. It didn't happen. (laughs) Exaggeration is it happened and it was the worst. Mindfulness exists somewhere between those two extremes, which is where you're holding space for the terribleness of whatever it is that happened to you, but you're not letting it consume you at the same time. So those are the three components, and the research shows us that cultivating self-compassion, being mindful of our feelings and emotions, keeping these things in balance has a lot of psychological benefits for us, including increased resilience, which is our ability to bounce back when difficult things happen improved emotional well-being, our ability to remain stable, to remain even in our emotions, to feel good about our emotional landscape also. And cultivating self-compassion also allows us to develop a more positive outlook on life. We just see things as more workable, (laughs) easier to deal with than when we don't have self-compassion. Things are a lot harder when we don't have compassion for ourselves. It's a lot more difficult to deal with stress and anxiety and depression when we do not have a loving connection to ourselves, when we do not view ourselves in a loving way. How does this self-compassion connect to the four pillars of wellness? And if you're new to this podcast, please pause this episode right now and go back and listen to episode one because I talk a lot about the four pillars and I don't want you to be lost or confused about what I'm going on about. (laughs) if that doesn't mean anything to you. But essentially, for those of you who are not new here, if you're picturing clearly in your mind your little Grecian temple with your four pillars and your inner sanctuary of wellness, 
let us continue. And I want to start off by pointing out that many things affect our wellness in the world. Basically anything external. So when someone we love dies or if someone we care about leaves us or a relationship that mattered to us starts to disintegrate or something we really wanted or we worked hard for, it falls through, it doesn't come to fruition like we wanted. Any kind of loss or setback or heartbreak all of these events do damage to our four pillars. It shakes our sense of well-being. It shakes our sense of confidence in ourselves. And while that damage is hurtful and it can be difficult to repair or rebuild, nothing is as destructive as a lack of self-compassion. And what I mean by that is try to imagine that external events, things you can't control, like the loss of a loved one or the end of a relationship, that that is more like a cannonball hitting your temple. And it's terrible and it's destructive and maybe it will even take out an entire pillar or two, which is not great. But it's not the end of the world. On the other hand, when you don't practice self-compassion for yourself, it's more like meteors falling from the sky <laughs> and destroying every single pillar. And every time that you're unkind to yourself or you're cruel to yourself, another meteor falls from the sky. And so it's not only doing significant damage, but you cannot rebuild or tend to your temple in this condition. The pillars are just not manageable at all. It's too dangerous. There are too many things flying around. And the worst part of it is that you're the one causing the damage. And for me, that adds a certain level of heartbreak and sadness to it because when we're the ones hurting ourselves, it's, it's even sadder. And I know why we do it. We do it because someone or something convinced us that we're not worthy and we're not lovable. And so we've now taken the destruction to ourselves. Sometimes I imagine it's kind of a graphic image. So if you don't want to hear it, <laughs> skip ahead. <laughs> like hit the forward 10 second button or something. But essentially, I imagine if you had a abusive person in your life for a long time, for example, and they were the ones who were always abusing you, but then you managed to get them out of your life. And so now you're the one who deals the blows. So if someone was beating you, for example, now you're the one who beats yourself and you say all the same things to yourself that they used to say, even though they're no longer in the picture. And that's very much what like a lack of self-compassion is. It's that even if the external factors are no longer present, the damage we're dealing to ourselves is still incredibly destructive. And it's worse because it's coming. <laughs> it's Halloween right now. So the image is the call is coming from inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're not from the U.S. and you have no idea what that's about, there's like a horror movie where this girl was getting creepy phone calls on the phone from someone and she thought she was safe because she had locked herself up in the house. But then the police call her and tell her that the call is coming from inside, which means the bad guy's hiding in the house. And I'm getting way too distracted <laughs> with my mini metaphors here. But the point is, is that I'm definitely guilty of dealing a lot of damage to my own mental health and my own mental well-being. And I'm sure at least some of you are as well. And so it can be really difficult to see ourselves clearly. It can be really difficult to love ourselves, to speak to ourselves kindly. At least in my case, especially, I was very hyper-focused on what was wrong, quote, wrong with me, what needed to be fixed, that I just did not understand the context of my situation. So for example, when I was first getting away from my terrible family, my terrible circumstances, I was so desperate for a motivation and drive to do that work because it was really difficult and I was so tired and I was so beat down on a physical and mental and emotional level that I needed to generate some kind of motivation to move forward. 
And unfortunately, it's very much like that metaphor of, you know, whipping yourselves forward is that I was the one driving that change, but I was doing it in such a harsh and cruel way that wasn't necessary. But it's also because that's how I had been talked to most of my life. And so, of course, that would be the initial voice that I would use on myself was the one I had always heard from childhood. And so I was very hard on myself. I was very hyper-focused on what needed to be fixed rather than appreciating what was great about myself, the strengths that I had. I was expecting way too much of myself, making way too many demands of myself. And that's because self-compassion is definitely regarding yourself with a very wide lens, understanding yourself within the context of your situation, within the context of the greater difficulty of being a human being. It is hard being a human being. And so it's impossible to see that and to give yourself a break if you're very focused just on some small aspect of yourself that you feel is wrong or deserves to be purged or changed or however it is that you're speaking to yourself. And so a lack of self-compassion does a lot of damage to our wellness and learning to practice self-compassion as a skill takes time. You definitely can't do it overnight. And for that reason, it's important to have a lot of patience. I want to say that up front before I start talking about how do you practice self-compassion? What are the things you can do to be more self-compassionate towards yourself? I just want to say that patience is needed. <laughs> you didn't get the way you are overnight, and you're not going to change completely how you speak to yourself, how you treat yourself overnight either. So keep that in mind, and don't be too hard on yourself that you're not being nicer to yourself sooner. <laughs> See this kind of snake eating its own tail or a Borealis infinity symbol going on here, which is just this, you have to be nicer to yourself, but you're being mean to yourself that you're not being nicer to yourself. Don't get wrapped up in that. Don't get caught up in that habitual pattern. It's, it's tricky. But definitely have patience for yourself as you move forward. Now, all of that said, how do we practice self-compassion? What are the very specific things that you can do to build up that self-compassion muscle? Because again, it may not be a natural habit for a lot of us. It may not be our go-to way to respond to ourselves or to a difficult situation. So what are the things that we can do to build our self-compassion muscles? And I'm just going to use the ones that I use most often, but please keep in mind that there are workbooks and things online that you can find. There was one that I had purchased off of Amazon many years ago. It was like the self-compassion workbook. I believe it had like some flowers on the front. I will find the link to that and put it in the show notes of this episode if you want to go look at it. And I worked through that and I found it helpful. So there are other materials that you can find and that you can use if you're someone who needs a lot more hand-holding through the self-compassion building. But here are a few methods that I like to rely on. And it's going to be familiar for those of you who listen to any of the toolbox technique episodes, the earlier episodes, because they're all definitely toolbox tools that I have used. And so the first and foremost is a self-kindness meditation. Surprise, surprise, meditation is on the list. Practicing meditation that focuses on sending kindness and warmth to yourself is so amazing. And the one that I most often do is I picture myself as a child and I do it at different ages. And so I've had one where I was holding myself as a baby. I was playing with myself as a toddler. I was talking to myself as a little kid, like as a five, six, seven, eight-year-old. I had one where I was sitting with my teenage self who was... <laughs> <laughs> who was 100% goth with the black nails and the shoving a safety pin through her ear or whatever. I don't even know what all I did. <laughs> but very goth, very emo. And so sitting with her, listening to her, all of these are different versions of myself and different times of myself. And so if I have a pain or something that I'm working through and I know kind of who had that wound, 
Like, who is the one that dealt with that? So, for example, my very first heartbreak in my life was when my best friend from birth until three, four years old, he was taken away my dog. When my father was arrested and sent to prison, the pound came and took my dog away because my mom and I had to move and so I couldn't keep my dog. And there was a black lab that I was absolutely in love with. So I was in love with Buddy and they, you know, had to take him away. And there's just this moment where I'm in the street screaming for this dog right and so there's a core wound about losing someone like your very best friend and not being able to ever get them back that I carry from like four years old and so if I feel something coming up if there's something in my current life that's happening and it feels like it's touching on that wound of I'm losing someone or something that I love and I'll go back to that age that's the one that I will sit with and I will hold and I will talk to her and It's really, do not be surprised if you start bawling, (laughs) is all I want to say about this. If you start practicing kindness with yourself and you realize every time you try to be kind to yourself, you start crying uncontrollably, that's a good sign. It's not going to feel like a good sign. But what it means is that you were so starved of kindness that you just did not have kindness in your life for so long that it's going to feel very tender and raw in a way that you're probably not going to expect. So if that starts happening, if some crazy emotions start coming up, and if you start being really emotional, don't be hard on yourself. Again, keep yourself in this context of this is necessary because maybe you have not had kindness or received kindness from yourself or others for a very long time. And so it might touch something very tender for you. So anyway, I do a self-kindness meditation. I visualize myself at different ages and I talk to myself kindly. Or sometimes I envision myself outside of myself even just to talk to me now. talk to myself like I'm a friend, right? Rather than I am my own drill sergeant. I also like to write gratitude letters to myself. I've also heard this called self-compassionate letters, but essentially you write a letter to yourself in which you are a compassionate, loving, understanding friend. You're offering support and encouragement about whatever it is that you're going through. And you talk about what you're proud of, what you're impressed by in that version of you. So for example, I write one every Sunday. I don't know if I've talked about my gratitude letters before, I can't remember, but I write myself a gratitude letter every Sunday. And in the letter, I say, you know, hello, Corey. And then I write, or actually, I don't even say hello, Corey. I say something really tender, like dear one or beloved or precious or (laughs) I don't like the word precious. I probably have never written precious in a letter, but something kind as the header, sweetie or whatever it is. And so I write something tender at the top of the card. Usually they're like thank you cards that I use, but you can just use a piece of notebook paper and nothing fancy here. And then I write a letter to myself and generally I am praising some aspect of myself. So for example, I've had to be very patient lately. I've been working very hard on something. Nothing's happening. I'm frustrated. (laughs) And so Currently, the theme in my gratitude letters are, I am so proud of how patient you are, and I'm so proud of how you're able to keep pushing forward even when you aren't getting the things that you want and how much you invest in yourself, that kind of thing. So being very loving towards yourself, talking to yourself as if you're a great friend to you, I find that really helpful. And then when I go back and read the letters, I most always am like, oh my God, that's so nice. <laughs> sometimes I cry or sometimes I'm just like, oh, that was really what I needed to hear today. And so you can try compassion letters or gratitude letters. You can also just take mindfulness breaks. So short breaks in the day where you just check in with yourself and you see how you're feeling. And for example, if you're realizing that you feel kind of sad today, you're just like, you know, that's okay. That's okay that you feel that way. Do you need something? Do you need to take a rest? Again, talking to yourself in this very loving way when you check in with yourself. 
You can also do self-compassion affirmations. So you can create and repeat your affirmations that promote self-acceptance, kindness, understanding, anything that you think you need to hear that maybe you didn't hear in the past. So for example, if you really struggle with your view of yourself as a strong person, you could have an affirmation that is affirming that, such as, I'm a very strong person. I'm a very loving person. I'm a very kind person. However you want to word it, affirmations are very personal, so it's hard for me to give you examples here. But do whatever it is that you need to hear. That's what you should be saying. (laughs) And you'll know what you need to hear. Think about maybe something that you wish someone that you loved had said to you if you have a parent that you don't have a great relationship with or a relationship that ended, and you think about the thing that you wish that they had said to you you could be saying that to yourself. That's one way to look at it. There's also self-compassion journaling in which you express your feelings, your struggles, and you respond to that in a very loving way with self-compassionate thoughts, fostering that self-awareness, that emotional healing. Because again, there's a component of awareness that's coupled with self-compassion because you have to be aware of yourself in the context of your life. So journaling it out, being kind to yourself about it, that could be another way to do this. Having a gratitude practice, cultivating gratitude and acknowledging how much you appreciate yourself, you appreciate your hard work, appreciate your life, appreciate the time that you have, and also setting boundaries with other people, making sure that you have boundaries in place that protect your emotional well-being. Don't overextend yourself. Don't promise too much to other people. Be sure you're honoring your own needs and your own necessities in your life, your own limitations. Self-care activities are also a form of self-compassion. So anything that you're doing to promote your physical or mental or emotional well-being, nurturing your sense of self-compassion, self-nurturing. Again, this is kind of coming down to it's not just what you do, but it's how you do it. I think I had an episode on that, which was essentially like if you're brushing your hair at night as something that's nice for you. If you're doing it thinking about how what a lazy bum you are, you didn't get enough done today. (laughs) That's one way to brush your hair. (laughs) But it's much more of a negative experience, right? But if you're brushing your hair and you're thinking really kind things about yourself, like, you know, you did really good eating a healthy lunch today, even though you really wanted to eat that whole eight pack of donuts or whatever. I don't know what your goals are. So again, it's hard to come up with examples, but there's two ways to do it, lovingly and not lovingly. And you're going to know which one that you're doing when you do your self-care practices. So just make sure that when you're practicing your self-care, that you're speaking kindly to yourself, you're speaking lovingly to yourself, and you're developing, again, it's that muscle, developing that muscle. Anything that you can do, and particularly the journaling that I just mentioned might be a good one for this, but whatever you can do to help contextualize yourself in your life. So for example, maybe you struggle with drinking. Why? Instead of telling yourself you're the weakest, worst person who ever lived because you've got a drinking problem, which people with addictions often do say these terrible things to themselves, start looking at the factors. You know, why do you struggle with that? What is the reason for you struggling with that? It didn't just manifest out of thin air. There's a reason why you struggle with drinking. And the reason why I thought of alcoholism as an example is because anytime I think about self-compassion, I can't help but think about my mother because she had really harsh views of herself. She was always talking really badly about herself. And she had drinking problems. She had health issues. She had problems with her mental health. She was always just so hard on herself about all of that. And I talk about it in Who Killed My Mother, the other podcast. But that journey, that exploration about the story that I told about finding out that she was murdered and then digging into her past and that whole emotional odyssey that happened (laughs) on that show, that very much is a journey of self-compassion. So maybe if you want to listen to that again or study that to kind of show you what the journey of learning how to have compassion 
for someone else or for yourself. That's very much what it looks like because I had struggled to accept my mom for who she was because of how difficult our relationship was, how much pain she had caused me growing up. It was just really difficult for me to see her suffer the way that she did because I loved her so much. She was my mom. You know, I didn't want to see her like that. And then when she was murdered and I went through the whole investigative process and people from her past were coming forward and telling me about the things that had happened to her, about things that had basically traumatized her, that was the widening of the lens. I didn't just see this person who had hurt me. I started to see my mother in the context of her life. I saw her in a way that I had never seen before. She wasn't just this mentally ill person with a drinking problem who terrorized me for 20 years. She became much more full-bodied. I realized how strong she was. I realized how much she had been through. I realized how much she had tried to overcome, but she couldn't because she didn't have a lot of the support and resources that she needed to do that. I was able to realize how much she loved me and how much that love showed through even in difficult times. Now that I was able to see that in context, I was able to understand why she was still stuck in the patterns that she was with her family, with her really destructive family, and how the lack of financial independence played into that. Because you can't really escape people if you're financially bound to them, if you don't have the means to get yourself out of those situations, to get yourself to a safer place. You need money to get safe, is the unfortunate truth. And for a lot of women in domestic violence situations, they're in those situations not because they don't know how to get out of it, it's because they literally can't because they don't have the resources to do so. And so learning all those things about her, it was very much this journey of contextualizing her within her life. And in doing so, my compassion for her became much stronger. So it's a natural response to contextualizing something. Your compassion for someone else or your compassion for yourself will naturally develop as you put yourself in the context of your life and in the context of your experiences. And again, that can be done by doing some of these practices we talked about. And what I am describing with my mom, that's compassion. So me developing this tenderness for her, but also self-compassion is the same thing you contextualizing yourself, it will develop the same compassion within. It's just the direction of that compassion. Compassion is for someone else, self-compassion for you. It's just, where is that pointed? So I really encourage you to do whatever you need to do to start looking at your life, to contextualize your experience, and to bring a lot more of that understanding and tenderness into the equation, how you think about yourself, how you view yourself, how you talk to yourself. Develop that any way that you can because it's absolutely essential in order to make progress in any of these other areas of your life. Because I've had a lot of episodes about how to work on this and how to, to do this and what, what you can do about this and so on and so forth. And I would say that at the base of your temple, what those four pillars are resting on is self-compassion. So the more that you can invest in that, the easier it will be for you to build and maintain the other pillars. So start looking at your life, thinking about your experiences, start to see yourself as a whole person. And I am sure that you will find that you are much more lovable than you think. And that's it for today, dear human. As always, I hope you found this episode useful. And if you would like to write into the show today and ask me for my thoughts on something that you're dealing with, I would love to hear from you on any of my social media or through my email at cory at coryamshrum.com. Otherwise, I will be back next week with another episode of A Well-Cared-For Human. And until then, please take good care of you. This episode of A Well-Cared-For Human was written and produced by me, Cory Marie. The music was by Late Night Feeler and Esther Abrami. 
If you like what I'm doing here, please consider visiting my Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you get early ad-free access to the episodes, as well as a monthly patrons-only Q&A, bonus videos, and more. Not to mention that your Patreon support lets me know that you find value in the show and want it to continue. You can find me on Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Marie. If you can't support the show financially, that is okay. You can still subscribe to the show, leave a review of the show, and recommend the show to your friends, not just the neurotic ones. All of this helps so much. And as always, thank you for listening.